You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hi, and we're back. I'm sorry, we lost the, the connection for a moment, but we're back here with Dr. Newman, uh, and he's president and CEO of Children's National Hospital here in Washington, D.C. Dr. Newman, welcome back to Washington Post Live. Well, thank you, Paige. Uh, I really appreciate having the opportunity to uh, speak with you and uh, uh, your audiences, and I appreciate the focus of the Washington Post on children. It's so important because frequently kids are just not thought of in these types of situations. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation, and I want to get into some of these, these questions about the impact of the pandemic on kids. But first, I want to ask you more specifically about your own hospital. And we've seen these surges, obviously, around the country in the last couple of weeks. But how has the Omicron surge uh, impacted Children's National in terms of staffing and availability of beds? Yeah, you know, we're a uh, Children's National is a hospital here in Washington, D.C., and we serve the, the region. Uh, and we've certainly seen the trend that has affected uh, hospitals, uh, health systems, communities all across the country. Uh, we, through the uh, beginning parts of the uh, pandemic uh, with the, the original variants, uh, we would see routinely at a peak, maybe 20 uh, patients in the hospital. Uh, and they were sick, and about a third of them uh, would go to the ICU. Uh, and, and, and people were thinking, well, maybe it doesn't have that much impact on children. But as things uh, went along, and now with this Omicron variant, uh, we've seen uh, just how, uh, what a false kind of set of conclusions that was. Uh, this variant uh, is hitting children hard. Uh, it's hitting them differently and it's really impacting uh, our hospital. Uh, you know, at the, uh, with the other variants, our peak would be about 20 kids in the hospital at a time. Lately, uh, it's been about 60 or 70. About a third of those children are in the ICU. And then what we're seeing now too, is there's this uh, uh, syndrome that happens two to three weeks after uh, the, the uh, coronavirus. Uh, it's called multi-system inflammatory syndrome, where the body's system, uh, inflammatory, uh, inflammatory and immune system, attacks itself because it's turned on somehow by the, uh, by the virus, and we're seeing that, and those kids are ending up in the ICU. So those are just numbers, but you know, as a as a uh, doctor before I was a CEO, and and as a dad and and married to a nurse. Uh, the impact when you see a child that's struggling to breathe, uh, that can't get uh, air, and we have to uh, put a ventilator, put them on a ventilator, or do those kinds of things, uh, it is just really, as you uh, pointed out, putting a lot of pressure on our doctors, our nurses, the pharmacists, uh, the folks that uh, uh, keep the hospital clean, and, and so we're th there's stress. But I am so proud of how our hospital has stepped up. We have not turned a patient away. We haven't closed a clinic. We had a huge snowstorm here right in the midst of the peak of the pandemic uh, when we had 60, 70 uh, of these kids in the hospital. Uh, we, uh, so we're here to meet the needs of the children and our, our teams uh, will do that. And I know that that's true across the country at all the children's hospitals uh, that we work with. 
So you mentioned a significantly higher number of kids in the hospital during Omicron. Do you mostly chalk that up to just the higher case numbers or or were we seeing a more severe effect on Omicron on kids? Can you kind of parse that for us a little bit? Yes, Paige, that's a, a, a great question. Uh, uh, part of it is uh, the greater number of kids that are impacted. I mean, when you look at the numbers, kids less than five can't be vaccinated, for example, so they're at risk. Uh, the vaccination rates in, in children from five to 12 are not where they need to be. Uh, they're in the 30% range. So there's this huge amount uh, and numbers of children that are um, uh, uh, able to be uh, uh, infected, uh, prone to be infected. So that's part of it. But also, and the science, and, and believe me, the science uh, around this is so Im important and it's just been so useful because there's so much unknown. But the science that we're seeing is that the kids are coming in with a little bit different presentation. Instead of deep in the lungs, this variant, this Omicron variant seems to hit the upper airway a little harder. And the real problem for children with that, particularly the smaller children and the babies, and we're seeing increased numbers of babies and smaller children, is that their airway is smaller. So they can't uh, take uh, a lot of inflammation or infection. And, and, and so uh, there, there, there's a, a presentation of disease called croup that's called, uh, it's a lot like that. There's a barking cough, they're struggling to breathe, we gotta do some treatments. The good news is we can turn it around usually in a few days and only about a third of those kids need to go to the ICU. Of course, that's really serious and most of them recover. But let's not take our eye off that ball. The fact that they recover or it may not seem that serious when they come into the hospital, what we're also very, very worried about is the long haul syndromes that uh, we're starting to see in children. Uh, that syndrome I uh, talked about where some kids have the inflammatory situation. And then it's also the kids that have uh, uh, underlying problems. So uh, maybe they have diabetes or maybe they're uh, being treated for cancer. So uh, we're still in the midst of this. But the good news is it does feel like we're just about cresting uh, the tide here and things are dropping off a little bit here in Washington. And that's another thing we got to keep track of. It's not the same in every community. You mentioned diabetes. That reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about. There was a CDC study that came out in the last week or so suggesting that uh, occurrence of COVID-19 could actually increase the risk of diabetes in children. And I know there's been a lot of discussion of that study and it seemed a little bit controversial. There's been some criticism that said that some of it could be a correlation, that children who tend to have more severe COVID-19 might have a higher BMI, which could be related to diabetes. Have you taken a look at that study and, and what's your take on that whole discussion? Well, my take on that whole discussion is it's a very, very important discussion, not just diabetes, but all the other conditions that children uh, have, because uh, there is so much that's unknown. I think that's the, my takeaway. Uh, and the science is not all there. Uh, we have uh, a clinic now. It's devoted purely to children that have had uh, uh, COVID uh, and we're engaged in a study with the NIH, a $40 million study over six years to look at the long-term effects of COVID on children. And that is going to tell us a lot of things that right now are just 
maybe it's a hypothesis like the diabetes situation. What I can tell you though is that we saw a lot more children coming in with diabetic ketoacidosis. That's kind of the worst thing that can happen to a, a, a diabetic acutely, totally out of control. Whether that was part of the virus or whether it was the immune response, we don't know. But that's why the research in science is so critical. This clinic where we have kids come in that have been impacted by the virus, maybe it's and maybe it's this long haul, and boy, can that be a, a real struggle for these children because lots of times people don't know how to put things together. All the specialists come together, one place, they get a full evaluation and then it's continued on. But we've had kids now uh, uh, for months and months of symptoms. And, you know, you think about this and that's, you know, I, I don't want to get totally involved with my personal views about uh, vaccination, but I don't want people taking that risk. There's so much we don't know, like this diabetes question or the long haul question or the the, the worry about the the uh, uh, the multi-system inflammatory thing. These are still open questions and there's still potential for variants that will take a different tack and have a different impact on children. So, uh, you know, the science needs to uh, continue and, and, and thank goodness the science has made so much uh, help and the researchers and the, I mean, what uh, heroes they are to get us these vaccines and the treatments and, and move along. We can't wait uh, for the, uh, uh, the vaccine uh, that will be approved, uh, hopefully this spring for children under five uh, because you know they're unvaccinated and they are at risk and we are not sure yet how that's going to impact some of these smaller children. So uh, great question. I don't have the answer, but I, we are looking at that every day and trying to do the studies that get us those answers. Well, I appreciate that answer. And I wanna talk, drill down into vaccines more specifically for a minute. As you already alluded to, the uptake of vaccines among kids five through 11 has been significantly lower than the rest of the population. I think just over a quarter in that age group has been has received at least one shot. What do you make of that? And did you expect that sort of a response to the vaccines for those uh, kids of those age? Paige, uh, uh, I'm very disappointed uh, because I did expect a much higher uh, uptake uh, among parents and, and children and, and uh, uh, the public health uh, and all of us together uh, to uh, get that uh, rate up where it needs to be. Uh, you know, I wasn't around uh, when uh, polio was uh, such a, a horrible thing. I had a cousin that uh, ha had to live with the uh, 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 outcomes of that. But I've seen pictures, you know, Children's National has been, a, uh, this is our 150th year of, of being a children's hospital. And I've seen pictures, we've been going back through things, and I've seen these wards of kids uh, on iron lungs. Wards of kids on iron lungs. We don't see that anymore. And there's so many other uh, diseases, uh, and most of these, a lot of these viruses uh, uh, hit kids hardest and hit them first. This one was a little different, uh, but I don't want, and I, as a parent, and I'm not gonna get into the public policy side of it, but, you know, I want my kids protected. I don't want them to have to be worried about, are they gonna have one of those syndromes? Are they gonna get something new? Are they gonna have the long haul? Uh, I want them in school. Uh, 
I want them to be healthy in school. Uh, and we know they do better in school. And the key to that is really protecting them uh, with vaccinations. Uh, so uh, I am uh, disappointed. Now, what, what are we doing? Uh, we, our priorities are, first of all, the kids that have underlying conditions that we're caring for, whether it's cancer, uh, sickle cell disease, obesity, you name it. We want to get those kids protected. And then our other priority is the kids that don't have necessarily the same access because of maybe where they live, uh, maybe the, uh, the, the poverty they live in. Uh, we get that out to those communities because we want to get those kids uh, uh, vaccinated. But I think I am very, very worried about that uh, because there's this uh, huge uh, number now of children. Uh, we want them to be uh, uh, happy and healthy and uh, we, want, we want to protect them. And, you know, it's also, uh, I think, as a responsibility as a parent, uh, not only my own child, but I want the other kids to be safe and healthy and protected. And I think, you know, that's the collective spirit. I think that uh, what makes America great in some ways is that we come together as communities and figure things out and do the right thing. And then there's this also crisis that's kind of under the surface, uh, which is the mental health crisis in children. And this, what was already a problem uh, with, uh, in terms of mental health, behavioral issues, uh, is just, uh, you know, is just, the, the virus has just blown the cover off of that. Uh, there's just not enough uh, resources. Uh, the kids are being really uh, impacted. I saw a study the other day uh, that uh, uh, adolescent girls, uh, there was a 40% increase in emergency room visits for suicide attempts in adolescent girls. And you just think about that. And that's, that's a situation that uh, there's not a vaccine for that. Uh, and th these kids are going to be living with the impacts. So the best thing to do is to protect our kids. And we've got the vaccines. Uh, we've got the science to do that. I, I want to, though, play devil's advocate for just a minute. Say I'm a parent with kids. Uh, say I get vaccinated. Uh, I look at the science. I see the vaccines are good. I should get it. But as a parent, so I'm looking at the risk of kids. I'm seeing that uh, chances are they're not going to get serious illness. They're not going to be hospitalized. As you know, the rate of death is much lower for kids. And so I'm thinking this is a new vaccine. I want to wait and see. I want to see how kids react to it. Um, what would your argument then be to me to try to persuade me to get my kids vaccinated sooner? Sure. Well, first of all, I would, I, I would respect your uh, uh, interest and, uh, and uh, you know, it's wonderful to, to protect your kids. I mean, that is just such a, uh, uh, you know, we don't want to uh, uh, do anything to violate that desire on your part to do the right thing for your child. But doing the right thing for your child may mean doing what's right for the public good as well. And your child may be impacted by what goes on with other, uh, with other children and, and families. Uh, and I, I, you know, have personal stories of uh, a child, uh, a family I know with cancer, couldn't get their cancer treatment because they'd been exposed to another child uh, that had uh, not been vaccinated and spread the virus. So it's really, uh, you know, it's a, 
uh, it's a judgment call, but we've had enough experience now with these vaccines uh, that they're safe, uh, they're protecting your own children, and they're, uh, I think, uh, maybe most importantly of all, they're protecting all of our children. It's almost like that golden rule. Uh, we just want to do unto others, and we want to be sure that we are creating a safe uh, society, and our children are our most precious resource. And the other thing about that is we don't know that this virus isn't going to change again. So having huge amounts of circulating virus, even though it may seem like they're not getting too sick, and I would still challenge that because we don't know what's going to happen, creates the opportunity for new variants and things that we don't know and, and, and maybe uh, impact in different ways. So I would say study it all, talk to your pediatrician, talk to the uh, uh, public health authorities and, and, and make that decision uh, for your child, but also be thinking about your community and the other children. And we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you another question that I think is pretty controversial and want to get your take on it. Uh, do you think that we should be requiring coronavirus vaccinations as part of mandatory immunizations for school-aged children? You know, that that uh, I, I understand the uh, uh, politics of, uh, of that and, and, and how people uh, uh, feel about it. I remember uh, when I came in, maybe a little before I came in as CEO, only I think the vaccination rate for just the routine, now we call them routine, but you know, back in the day, they weren't routine if you had measles or, or mumps or uh, diphtheria or, or any of these, uh, some of these uh, diseases were killers. Uh, there was a controversy because the vaccination rate in the children in our community was not at near it needed to be. It was at 60% and there were kids that were getting those diseases. Uh, we have a fabulous political leadership here, a, a terrific mayor city council, uh, put in the uh, uh, rules and mandates with the school systems. And so this is, you know, it's a historic experience, but we got that up to 90, 90 some percent. And we don't hear about outbreaks of, of those kinds of diseases anymore. So as a, as a public health person, I feel like if that's the way that we're gonna get our kids to be in school safely, that the other kids can go to school, because if you had a kid with diabetes or asthma and you were worried that the rest of the group was not uh, uh, vaccinated, uh, they might not be able to go to school. So I think the, uh, the, my overwhelming uh, uh, concept here is, is around uh, thinking about yourself, but in the context of the public good. And I think it's good for all of us to all get vaccinated. And if the only way is to really uh, uh, push it hard through uh, work requirements or mandates or whatever, then maybe that's what's got to be done. Because the other side of it is uh, having another uh, uh, variant uh, uh, or, or all of the long-term complications. Why would you as a parent want to put your child at risk for that? Well, we are out of time, so we'll have to leave it there. But thank you so much for a fascinating discussion, Dr. Kurt Newman. So great having you. Thank you, Paige, and thank you to the Washington Post and your community. Uh, it's just an uh, honor to be part of this program. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.